Chapter Eight of Born to Serve. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Devorah Allen. Born to Serve by Charles Monroe Sheldon. Chapter Eight. Ministry is Divine. Mr. Morton broke a very embarrassing silence by saying in a very quiet voice, although his manner showed still the great excitement that he evidently felt, Mrs. Clark, I have no doubt you are greatly surprised to see me here. It is a great pleasure, I am sure, Mrs. Clark murmured. Barbara had turned around so that the young minister could not see her face as she sat partly concealed behind the lamp on the table. It was very still again before Mr. Morton spoke. You know, of course, that I have no preaching service tonight. I have just come from my young people's meeting. I. He paused, and Mrs. Clark looked attentively at him, and then at Barbara, sitting with head bowed and cheeks flushed. And a gleam of sudden perception of the truth began to shine out of the mother's face as she turned again toward the minister. Barbara had never confided directly in her mother. But Mrs. Clark had been blessed with a remarkably beautiful and true love experience in her own girlhood, and with all her faults and misunderstandings of Barbara during the trial of her experiment with Mrs. Ward, she had, in various ways, come to know that Barbara had grown to have much interest in the brilliant young preacher. Barbara had probably made a serious mistake in not giving her mother a frank confession. But Mrs. Clark had never really supposed until now. That the minister might have a feeling for Barbara. She began to feel certain of it as she rapidly noted Mr. Morton's evident agitation and the look that he gave Barbara as he stopped suddenly. We are very glad to see you, I am sure, Mrs. Clark said, coming to his rescue. Through the memory of her own sad loss and all her recent trouble rose the sweet picture of her husband's wooing. If Barbara's happiness for life now consisted in her possible union with this good, strong man, Mrs. Clark was not the mother to put needless obstacles in the way. In this matter, her mother had a certain largeness of character, which Barbara did not at that time comprehend. Mr. Morton had grown calmer. He began to talk of matters belonging to his church and his plans for the social settlement. Gradually, Barbara recovered herself from the first moment's panic. She came out from behind the defense of the lamp and began to ask questions and take part in the conversation. But still, she was saying, after half an hour's talk had been going on, I do not quite see how you are going to interest Crawford people in the plan you suggest until you have made a practical beginning, even if it is on a small scale. The people are very conservative. That's true, the minister sighed a little. But I do not see how you are going to interest the public in your servant girl's training school until you have demonstrated its practical usefulness. I don't doubt its wisdom, of course, he added quickly. But it must require a good deal of courage on your part to make a beginning, in view of what you know must be the criticism and prejudice that are inevitable. As far as courage goes, said Barbara frankly, it seems to me you have much more than I. With the money Mrs. Ward and Mrs. Vane have promised me, I shall be quite independent to work out my plan as I please. Whereas you are obliged to overcome the prejudice of a whole church full of people, many of whom do not believe in social settlement work connected with the church. I wish there was some way, Mr. Morton exclaimed eagerly, absorbed in the thought of his plans, in which we could combine your plans and mine. The training school would fit in so beautifully with my ideas. He spoke in his enthusiasm for the moment. Thinking only of the plans as existing apart from the persons. But as Barbara lifted her face to his and then dropped her eyes, while a great wave of color swept her cheeks, he realized how personal his exclamation had been. And just at that juncture, Mrs. Clark, without a word of apology or explanation, rose and walked out of the room. Morton blessed her as she shut the door. There are some things in the love chapter of youth. That cannot be told except to the heart of youth itself. He went quickly over to where Barbara was seated on the other side of the table, and before she had time to be frightened, he said, looking at her with love's look, Barbara, 
I love you, and want you to be my wife and share all with me. Will you? Barbara sat all in a tumult, her heart beating fast, as in a dream wondering at it all, and it sounded very sweet to her, for she loved him truly. But she said, as she stood by the table looking at him, But I cannot. It would be... Tell me, Barbara, he said, a sudden smile lighting up his pale face, and his use of her name was again music to her. Tell me only one thing first. Do you love me? Yes, she cried, and it seemed to her as if one person in her had spoken to another, compelling the answer. And the next moment, she could not realize how, but it was like a world's life to her. His arms were about her, and in that moment she knew that for better, for worse, she had put her life into the lot of sharing with his. Lovers do not count time like other people. After a while he was saying, But tell me, Barbara, how I am to make my peace with Mrs. Ward. For when she learns that I am going to get her hired girl, she will never forgive me. Then Barbara's face grew grave. Do you realize, Mr. Morton, what you have done? Can a young man with your position and prospects afford to... to... marry a hired girl? Oh, if you had not compelled me to say yes so soon, I might have saved you from making the mistake of your life. Barbara, he answered, with sudden sternness that was assumed, without answering her question. If you ever call me Mr. Morton again, I shall... He left his threat unfinished, but he had possession of her hand as he spoke, and Barbara looked up at him and said softly, What shall I call you? Say, yes? What? Barbara asked innocently as he paused. Will you repeat after me? Yes, she replied incautiously. Well then, he went on joyously. Say, Ralph, I love you more than anyone else in the world and I will walk with you through life because I love you, because we love each other. You have taken advantage of me, she exclaimed brightly, and then with glowing face looking into his, she repeated the words, whispering them. And when she had finished, they were both reverently silent, while her eyes were wet with tears of solemn joy. They did not either of them realize all they had pledged to each other, but the God-given, human-divine spell of love was upon them, and the blessedness of it swallowed up all fears of the future. Once Barbara had given herself to him, it meant an end of doubt or fear. She might discuss with him the probable results to his social or professional standing, but she would never torture his mind or distress her own by vain regrets or foolish anticipations. The great truth of their love for each other filled them both. They were so absorbed in their talk that they did not hear Mrs. Clark when she came into the room. Then Mr. Morton was suddenly aware of her presence, and he instantly rose and went over to her. Mrs. Clark, he said, I took advantage of your absence to take your daughter from you, but I will try to make up for it in part by giving you a loving and dutiful son, if you will accept me as such. Without waiting for her reply, which he easily read in her smiling face, he turned to Barbara, who had come to his side. "'What did you say, Barbara?' Mrs. Clark asked as she faced them both, thinking to herself that she had never seen so much real joy in two faces anywhere in the world. "'Oh, mother,' Barbara cried, "'I have given him my answer.' She laid her head on her mother's breast, as she used to do when she was a little girl, and Mrs. Clark felt with the painful joy of a good mother's heart that the world's old story had come into her daughter's life and that henceforth this man had become to Barbara all in all, without displacing the mother from her rightful share of affection. They had many things to say now, and neither Barbara nor Mrs. Clark offered serious objections to the earnest request of the young man that the period of engagement might be a brief one. "'We know our minds quite well, I am sure,' he said, while Barbara, blushing, nodded yes." It will be best in every way for us to begin our home very soon. Barbara, you will have to give Mrs. Ward notice that you must leave. Poor Mrs. Ward, she is the only person I am sorry for right now. They were all silent for a moment. Then Mr. Morton said, The servants' training school will have to be a part of the social settlement now. You've lost your independence. 
"'I've gained something better,' said Barbara gently. Her love knew no restrictions, now that it was returned, and her heart leaped up to his in all his ambitions for helping to make a better world. When he rose to go, Barbara went to the door with him. He had opened it and was about to step out, when he turned and said with a laugh, "'I have forgotten my hat.' The missing hat was not found at once, and Mrs. Clark unblushingly said, "'Perhaps it is in the sitting-room,' and walked deliberately out there. The hat was lying on a chair behind the table. The minister took it up and walked to the door again. Then he turned and said, while Barbara looked up at him, "'I forgot something else.' Then he stooped and kissed her, and went out into the night, and it was like the glory of heaven's brightness all about him. While Barbara turned and again met her mother with an embrace where both mingled their tears over the divine romance of this earthly life. God bless the repetition of the pure love chapter in human hearts. When it is deeply Christian, as in the case of Barbara and Ralph, it is approved of Christ and has the sanction of all heaven. When Barbara began her work at the wards next day, she had a natural dread of breaking the news to Mrs. Ward. But the lady unconsciously made a good opportunity. She came into the kitchen early in the forenoon and was struck by Barbara's beauty. She had noted it many times before, but this morning the girl's great love experience had given her face an additional charm. It is no wonder Ralph Morton fell in love with her. He said it all began from that Sunday when he first met her at the Marble Square Church. "'Why, Barbara!' Mrs. Ward exclaimed. "'You look perfectly charming this morning. How do you manage to keep looking so lovely? It is a wonder to me that the kitchen is not full of bows all the time.' Barbara laughed lightly. "'I don't want a kitchen full of bows. One is enough.' Mrs. Ward looked at her attentively. Then she said somewhat gravely, "'Did you say one is enough? What does that mean?' "'It means—oh, Mrs. Ward, I am so happy.' She turned to her, and the older woman trembled a little, and then said, "'Is it Mr. Morton?' "'Yes,' cried Barbara, and Mrs. Ward put her arms about her and kissed her. Then she stepped back and looked at her somewhat sorrowfully. "'I'm glad for you, of course. But what are we going to do? It's always the way—' The best girls I have always go and get married. But I never thought until lately that you would do such a thing. Why, it's like a story, Barbara. If it was in a book, people would think it was quite improbable. The idea, they would say, of the brilliant young preacher of Marble Square Church, Crawford, the gifted young writer and lecturer, marrying a hired girl in his own parish. Have you thought, Barbara, of the sensation this event will make in Marble Square Church? "'Of course I have not had much time yet to think of it, Mrs. Ward. "'If Mr. Morton—Ralph,' she added shyly, "'blushing at her use of the name before another person, "'if he feels satisfied, the church ought not to give any trouble. "'Why should it? Do you think it will? "'You're a hired girl in the eyes of most people in the church. "'They do not know you as I do. "'I am afraid it will make trouble for Mr. Morton.' For a moment, Barbara's radiant face showed signs of anxiety. Then, to Mrs. Ward's astonishment, she said with a smile, "'I am not going to borrow trouble over it. I love him too much to be afraid of anything.' "'If only people knew you as Mr. Ward and I do,' Mrs. Ward faltered, tears in her eyes, caused by affection for Barbara, and sorrow at the thought of losing her out of the home.' You know what a welcome Mr. Ward and myself and Mrs. Vane and a few others will give you, but I don't know what Mrs. Rice and Mrs. Wilson and Mrs. Brown will say. Do you know, Barbara spoke, not flippantly, but with a sense of happy humor which was a real part of her healthy nature. Do you know, Mrs. Ward, I am afraid I am not quite so much in fear of what Mrs. Rice and Mrs. Wilson and Mrs. Brown will say as I ought to be. I am not going to marry them, but... but... "'Someone else?' Mrs. Ward looked at her doubtfully. Then she smiled at her and said, "'You must be very much in love, Barbara. "'The old adage, "'Love laughs at locksmiths,' "'will have to be changed to "'Love laughs at Marble Square Church.' "'I don't laugh at it, Mrs. Ward, "'but honestly, I do not feel to blame, "'and I am not going to anticipate trouble. "'That would not be right towards him.' for I know he counted all the cost before he asked me to share all with him. 
blessed be love like Barbara's. Truly can it be said of such love, it beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Love never faileth. When Mr. Ward came home at night, he soon learned the news. Barbara had no silly or false sentiment, and she had agreed with Mr. Morton that the fact of their engagement and near marriage need not be kept secret from anyone, even for a short time. So Mrs. Ward told her husband. He was not surprised. He had anticipated it. "'Yes, you're going to leave us, just like all the rest,' he said in his bantering fashion, when Barbara came in with some dishes to set the table. Mr. Ward was in the reading-room, and Barbara stepped to the door and greeted him. "'One of the rules of your new training school ought to be, no girl who graduates from this school to go out to service shall be allowed to get engaged or married for at least five years. What is going to become of all the competent girls if they all follow your bad example?' "'I'm sure I don't know,' Barbara answered demurely. "'Won't you and Morton take us in to board when you begin housekeeping? I'm so used to your cornbread muffins and coffee for breakfast that I know I shall never be able to put up with any other kind.' "'I don't know,' Barbara replied, laughing. "'It is possible that we may have a hired girl ourselves.' "'Do you think so?' Mr. Ward said with pretended joy. "'Then Mrs. Ward and I shall have our revenge on you for deserting us.' "'for you will then have the agony of the servant-girl problem on your own hands "'and know how it is from the other side of the house. "'Perhaps that is one of the reasons I am going to have a home of my own, Mr. Ward. "'I shall be able to see the question from both standpoints. "'I hope you'll be spared our troubles.' "'Mr. Ward spoke in a really serious tone this time. "'Then he added with great heartiness, "'The Lord bless you, Barbara. You have been like a daughter to us.' He choked as he remembered Carl in Barbara's arms just a little before he passed over. We shall miss you dreadfully, but we shall bid you Godspeed. I don't know what the rest of Marble Square Church will do, but you know that Mrs. Ward and myself will be loyal to our minister's wife. Oh, I thank you, Mr. Ward. It means everything to me. And Barbara retired somewhat hastily to the kitchen, where some tears of joy and feeling dropped on the familiar old table where Carl had so often sat watching her at work. That evening Mr. Morton called. Barbara had finished her work and was sitting with the family as her custom was when Morton came in. There was a little embarrassment at the first greeting with the wards, but it soon passed off, and in a few moments the young minister was chatting delightfully. His happiness was on his face and in his manner. He had never looked so noble or so handsome, Barbara's heart said to herself, almost wondering whether it was all a dream, from which she would soon be rudely awakened. But it was no dream like that. Her heart sang as she began to realize its reality. "'Oh, by the way,' Mr. Ward said suddenly, turning to his wife, "'Martha, how about that rule that we made long ago, that the hired girl should receive her company in the kitchen? Why did I go to all the expense of furnishing that new kitchen if the girl is going to sit here in the parlor?' Mr. Morton jumped to his feet and walked over to Barbara. "'Come, Barbara,' he said with a touch of humor that equaled the occasion. "'Come out into the kitchen where we belong. This is no place for us.' Barbara rose, blushing and laughing. "'Yes, I see. Just an excuse to get rid of us,' Mr. Ward said as the lovers walked out. "'We want to live up to the rule of the house,' Mr. Morton retorted. They went out into the room where Barbara had spent so many hours of hard toil— and when they were alone, the minister said, "'Dear, do you know, this room is a sacred spot to me. I have thought of you as being here more than anywhere else.' "'If I had known that,' Barbara said gently, and she no longer avoided the loving brown eyes that looked down at her. It would have lightened a good many weary hours. I feel ashamed now to think of the quantities of tears I have shed in this little room. The thought that your life has gone out in service here, Barbara, is a beautiful thought to me. What a wonderful thing it is to be of use in the world. I thank God my mother brought me up to reverence the labor of the hand in honest toil. There is nothing more sacred in all of human life. Then they talked of their love for each other, and were really startled when the door suddenly opened and Mr. Ward called out from the entry, "'Gas and coal come high this winter. You can draw your own inference.' They rose laughing and came back into the parlor." where Mrs. Ward apologized for Mr. Ward's interruption. "'Don't say a word, Mrs. Ward,' Morton said gaily. "'I shall soon have Barbara all to myself.' "'How soon?' 
"'I don't know, quite.' Mr. Morton looked at Barbara. "'There will be mourning in this household when she goes,' Mrs. Ward replied. "'I never expect to have another girl like Barbara.' "'I'm sorry for you. But you can't expect me to feel any sorrow for myself.' "'Yes, that's it,' Mr. Ward put in ironically. "'You preachers are always talking about sacrifice and giving up and all that. "'I notice that when it comes to a personal application, "'you are just as grasping after the best there is as anybody.' "'Of course,' said Morton cheerfully, looking at Barbara. "'He is going to suffer for it, though.' "'Barbara came to the rescue of Mr. Ward. "'He may lose his church, just as you are going to lose me.' "'I don't think so,' Morton answered calmly. "'But if I do—' "'He did not finish, but his look at Barbara spoke volumes. "'It said that he had found something which would compensate for any earthly loss. "'When Morton had gone, Barbara slipped up to her room. "'Her happiness was too great to be talked about. "'The thought of what her lover—her lover,' she repeated, "'had said about service, about the image of herself daily in that kitchen, "'made her tremble.' She had tried to accustom herself to the thought of Christ's teaching about service. Her study of the different passages in the Bible referring to servants had given her new life on the subject. It had all grown sweeter and more noble as she went on. And now that her life had been caught up into this other life, a newer and clearer revelation of labor and ministry had come to her. Never had Barbara offered a truer prayer of thanksgiving than the one that flowed out of her heart to God tonight. Never had the depth and beauty of human service meant so much to her as now, when human love, the love sanctioned by Jesus and made holy by his benediction, had begun to translate common things into divine terms. In her Bible reading that night, she found a passage in the sixth chapter of Second Corinthians that pleased her very much. It did not belong, first of all, to the service of a house-servant, yet Barbara felt quite sure, as she read, that if Paul had been questioned about it, he would have said that the teaching applied just as well to house ministration as to ministration anywhere else. This is the passage which she read, giving no occasion of stumbling in anything, that our ministration be not blamed, but in everything commending ourselves as ministers of God, in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in strifes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, in pureness, in knowledge, in long-suffering, in kindness, in the Holy Ghost, in love unfeigned, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful, yet alway rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing all things. Have I been a minister of God? How often I have complained and shed tears over little things as I have tried to minister to the needs of this house. Surely at its very worst I have not endured the hardships that Paul speaks of, I know he is speaking of preachers, probably, of missionaries of the cross. But I am sure he means that anyone who ministers to the real needs of life is a minister of God. And if I have really been a minister of God, how little I have realized its meaning. Help me, my father. Barbara breathed her prayer. Help me in the thankfulness for the great joy of my life to live as a servant of thine. Through all these possible hardships, may I learn to keep close to thee. Help me to bless other lives and give them encouragement and a true thought of ministry. It is all so wonderful, my father. Thou hast led me in ways so unforeseen by my poor selfishness. It is all too wonderful to me. O oh, thou great but loving God, I thank thee. In the name of him who has redeemed me, amen. It was the next day that Barbara had a call from Mrs. Vane. The old lady had met Mr. Morton, and reading his happiness in his whole person, she asked him bluntly to tell her all about it. "'My dear,' she cried, as she kissed Barbara on both cheeks and shed a tear out of her sharp eyes, 
softened by her love for Barbara. I congratulate you both. It is wonderful, but I knew all the time that he loved you and would have you, and I knew that you would give yourself to him. It is all as it should be. The Marble Square Church is a great institution, but it is not so great as love. I want you to be married at my house. Morton is one of my boys. I knew him as a child, and I love him as a son. I don't think Mother would allow me to go away from her, even to you, Barbara answered, smiling and blushing until she looked like a picture, Mrs. Vane and Mrs. Ward both thought, as they stood looking at her. We have arranged to be married at Mother's. That's best. Yes, that's best. The old lady nodded approvingly. No church display, no show, no cheap or vulgar flaunting of self on the occasion of the most sacred experience in a girl's life. I always said Ralph Morton deserved the best woman on earth for a wife, and he's getting her. The good God bless you both. And the impulsive old lady kissed Barbara again. And when Barbara went back to her work, she remained some time with Mrs. Ward, talking over the great event. For it was truly great to Barbara and Morton and his friends, and indeed to all Marble Square Parish. For when the news of the minister's engagement became known in Crawford, as it did in a very short time because he made no secret of it, there was consternation in Marble Square Church and in society generally. "'Is it true?' Mrs. Rice solemnly asked Mrs. Wilson the first time they met after the news became known. "'Is it really true that Mr. Morton is going to marry Mrs. Ward's hired girl?' It is simply awful. It cannot be. I am afraid it is, Mrs. Wilson answered, clasping her hands with a tragic gesture, as if some terrible calamity had taken place. I had the information direct from Mrs. Vane, who had it direct from Mr. Morton himself. It will break up Marble Square Church, that is all, Mrs. Rice said decidedly. A thing like that is too serious a social departure for even Mr. Morton to make. As much as people like and admire him, not even his great talents can excuse such a great social blunder. They say, Mrs. Wilson suggested in a hesitating manner, that the girl is really well-educated, and not just an ordinary hired girl. You know, Mrs. Ward has told us something about her going out to service, in order to help other girls realize its dignity, and, and so forth. It makes no difference, Mrs. Rice replied sharply. She is known as a hired girl. The idea of being obliged to look up to her as our minister's wife. Will you submit to that? Supposing she proves worthy of her place, Mrs. Wilson suggested feebly. It's out of the question, Mrs. Rice answered positively. The whole thing is awfully unfortunate for Marble Square. If Mr. Morton had only chosen some girl of good social rank, Miss Dillingham, for example. But as it is, I, for one... Mrs. Rice did not finish what seemed like a threat, but scores of other women in Marble Church felt and spoke just as she did, and the outlook for a great disturbance in the parish was very good. When Sunday came, Barbara prepared to attend service. She had not been for several Sundays, not since the time of the scene at the Endeavor Society. Mrs. Ward wondered at her lack of nervousness. There was a self-possession about Barbara now that she had committed her future to the young minister, that Mrs. Ward admired. She began to have a real respect for her in addition to her affection. When Barbara went down the aisle with the family and entered the ward pew with the rest, it is safe to say that every eye in Marble Square Church was directed toward her. What people saw, very many of them to their great surprise, was a lovely face, free from affectation or superficial prettiness, without bashful consciousness of her prominent position. Every woman in the house could not help acknowledging, she looks like a lady. Love had done much for Barbara. It is a wonderful power to dignify and bless. There were hundreds of people in Marble Square Church that morning who had just come from the perusal of one of Crawford's most sensational Sunday papers, which, with a cruelty that was actually satanic and a coarseness that was actually criminal, had printed what it called, in staring headlines, a spicy tale of a hired girl and a preacher. The Reverend Mr. Morton of the fashionable Marble Square Church, to wed a hired girl. Full particulars of the engagements, with snapshots of the parties. There were two columns of description that were worthy of authorship from the lowest pit. 
accompanied with what purported to be reliable pictures of the two lovers. And it was from the perusal of all this horrible invasion of every sacred and tender private feeling that the human heart holds dear, that most of the men and women had come into church that morning, to add to the sensation by almost as heartless and cruel a scrutiny of Barbara and Mr. Morton. Barbara did not know all of this, but even if she had, her love was so pure and great that it is doubtful whether anything could have obscured her perfect happiness. When her lover rose to preach, she never felt more pride in him or more confidence in his powers. He fully justified all her expectations. Unlike Barbara, he knew quite fully all the venom and vileness of the paper in question. On his way to church, grinning newsboys had flaunted the pages in his face and shouted their contents in his ears. From all that, he had gone into his room, and after the sustaining prayer that had refreshed and quieted his soul, he had gone out to face the people. But he had first faced God. He was not in the least afraid of the people after that. It is doubtful whether Marble Square Church had ever heard such preaching before. It is doubtful whether Morton had ever before had such a vision or delivered such a message. The spell of his power was on all the great congregation. Hearts that had come to criticize, to sneer, to ridicule, were touched by his words. Members of his parish, who, after reading the paper, had fully made up their minds to sever all connection with the church, changed their minds during the wonderfully sweet and helpful prayer that followed the sermon. Ah, Barbara and Ralph, the Spirit of God is greater than all the evil of men. If victory comes out of this suffering for you, it will be due to God's power over the selfish, thoughtless, cruel children of men. When the service was over, Barbara quietly went out with Mrs. Ward. In the vestibule they were met by Mrs. Dillingham, who had come out of the other door from a side-aisle. With scores of people noting what was said and done, the majestic old lady greeted Barbara with a courteous and even kindly greeting that was unmistakable and created a genuine sensation, for no family in all Marble Square Church had higher connections than the Dillinghams. "'My dear Miss Clark,' Mrs. Dillingham had said, "'your mother was kind enough to return my call. You have not been so good.' "'Will you come and see me soon?' "'Indeed I will, Mrs. Dillingham, "'if you have forgiven my neglect of your invitation so far. "'I'll forgive anything in a Dillingham. "'You don't forget you're one of us, as I have said before.' "'She swept out of the vestibule grandly, "'holding her head a little higher than usual, "'and Barbara blessed the nobility in her "'that was unspoiled by all her riches and social rank. "'Probably nothing that occurred that morning "'made a deeper impression socially.' The old lady had not said a word about the engagement. She had too much delicacy and good taste. But it was just as plain as if she had welcomed Barbara as her minister's wife that she accepted the situation without a thought of remonstrance and was prepared to act loyally towards Mr. Morton, respecting his choice and even ready to defend it before any and all of her influential acquaintances. Miss Dillingham was at the other end of the vestibule while her mother was talking to Barbara. She did not approach Barbara, and, so far as could be seen, did not even look at her during the service. Her proud, handsome face was directed, however, with a fixed and painful gaze upon the preacher through all the service. If, at the close, Alice Dillingham calmly shut the door of her own heart over its dream of romance, in which the talented preacher of Marble Square had begun to be adored, it may be that Barbara fully understood it and in avoidance of her by the one who had lost what Barbara had gained, Barbara saw no cause for personal ill-will. When the heart aches, there are times when it must ache alone, and riches and beauty are no security and no comfort. The weeks that followed this eventful Sunday were crowded with incidents and meaning for Barbara. She remained nearly a month with Mrs. Ward until help had been secured, and then with mutual sorrow the women parted, Barbara going home to make preparation with her mother's help for her marriage. "'If you aren't suited with the situation you've found, you can come back to us any time,' Mr. Ward said, as his wife kissed Barbara and made no attempt to hide her sorrow, plainly shown by the tears on her face. "'Thank you,' responded Barbara, laughing through her tears, 
for it was a real grief for her to go. I am afraid I shall never come back. But if you will come and see us, I will promise to bake some of your favorite dishes for you. She waved her hand to them as they both came to the door and bade her an affectionate farewell, and soon turned the corner, with a grave consciousness that one very important chapter in her life had come to a close, and a new one had begun. Three months after, Barbara was married at her mother's home. The few friends who had been faithful to her during the days of her service were present, the wards, Mr. and Mrs. Vane, and Mrs. Dillingham, together with three of the girls from the stores, whose friendship for Barbara had daily grown in meaning. A seminary classmate of Morton's spoke the words of the service in which God joined these two eager, earnest Christian souls in one, and they twain became one flesh, and another home was added to those that already on the earth are the best witness to the possibilities of heaven among men. Five years after this, Barbara and her husband were standing together one evening in the dining-room of the parsonage of Marble Square Church, evidently awaiting some guests. Ralph Morton was nodding approval of some little detail of the table furnishing, and Barbara was saying, "'So lovely to have the old friends with us tonight, isn't it, Ralph?' "'Indeed it is. Although I could be satisfied with present company,' the minister added gallantly. He was still the lover, as well as husband. "'That's selfish.' Barbara smiled as she came around to his side of the table, and stood there with his arm about her, the love-light in her eyes as strong as ever. "'I have never quite got over that interruption of Mr. Ward's the night I courted you in your kitchen,' he said, laughing. "'You have had five years to make it up, sir,' Barbara replied, answering his laugh with a caress, and as the bell rang, she ran to the door to meet her guests. "'We've all come along together, you see.' Mr. Ward said in his cheery fashion as he entered with Mrs. Ward and Mr. and Mrs. Vane and Mrs. Dillingham. We've been over to the training school and looked at the new addition. It's a great help. The minister and his wife greeted them eagerly, and when they were seated at the table, after Grace was asked, the talk naturally turned about the work of the training school and its results. A neat-looking girl with a pleasant, intelligent face came in to serve the first course. Jenny, Barbara said, with a smile that revealed her winsomeness, and proved that the years had added to its power. "'These are old friends of mine. You have met Mrs. Ward. This is Mr. Ward, Mrs. Dillingham, Mr. and Mrs. Vane. Jenny Mason.' The girl nodded pleasantly in response to the words of greeting given her, and when her work was over she went out. "'Is Miss Mason one of your girls?' Mrs. Vane asked, rubbing her nose vigorously, as her wont was when she had some particular problem in mind. Yes, she is just out of the school. She is really fitting herself for hospital service, but wanted to take the course, and is with me this winter. Are these her muffins? Mr. Ward inquired suspiciously. No, sir, Barbara laughed. Those are mine. I made them specially for you in memory of the old times. Ah, we've never had any like them since you left us for a better place, have we, Martha? Mr. Ward said, turning to his wife. No. "'Not even the girls from Barbara's school can equal her,' Mrs. Ward answered, giving Barbara a grateful look. The years had strengthened their friendship and love. "'I don't see that the training school has solved the hired girl problem in Crawford,' Mrs. Vane said, as if vexed at something she had heard. "'Although it is wonderful what has been done in so short a time.' "'We've had our woes,' Barbara answered with a sigh. "'It takes so long to make people see the divine side of service.' Now Jenny, as good and capable a girl as she is, longs to escape from the drudgery, as she calls it, and become something besides a servant. As long as humanity is what it is, I imagine that will always keep the problem unsolved. But I am sure the girls who go out of the school are learning the beauty of service more and more every year. I can speak for the truth of that. Mrs. Dillingham nodded vigorously to Barbara across the table. The girl you sent me last week is a treasure. She is neat, competent, and Christian. I am ready to pay her the maximum wages at the start. Mrs. Dillingham referred to a scale of wages agreed upon in Crawford since the training school was started. This scale was a mutual agreement between housekeepers and servants, and was regulated by certain well-defined conditions of competency. It provided for a certain increase every month of a small amount, 
and had proved mutually helpful as far as tried. At the same time, Mrs. Ward said, I don't believe the servant-girl problem is mostly one of wages or work. I believe it is more a question or an understanding on the part of those who go out to service of the opportunity to serve and the real joy of being in a place where one is really needed by the homes of the world. Here, here, cried Mr. Vane, who was a rarely modest man and seldom took any extended part in the talk. That's what Mrs. Morton has always preached, if I understand her. Indeed, yes, Barbara answered, her eyes flashing with enthusiasm. All we have done so far in the training school has been to make an honest effort to teach girls to be competent in the affairs of the house, so far as its management is concerned. And after doing that comes the hardest part of it, to help the girls to see the divine side of service. That is particularly hard to teach, especially if, as in the case of several of our best girls, they have suffered injustice and unchristian treatment from so-called Christian women. That is still my greatest problem. I think I could soon furnish all the competent help that Crawford needs, if housekeepers would do their part to solve the difficulties, just as you helped me, Barbara added, turning to Mrs. Ward and Mrs. Vane. She was going on to add a word more to the little preachment, as Mr. Morton called it, when the company was startled by the appearance of a little figure in white, which had stolen down the stairs and suddenly appeared in the dining room. "'Why don't I have any of this?' the figure said reproachfully, and everybody laughed while the child ran around to Barbara and put a curly head in her lap. "'Now then, little boys that are put to bed must stay there,' Barbara said, smiling at the sweet face that looked up at her after the first moment. "'Can't I stay and have some?' the child asked, pleading a little. "'I dreamed you were having some good things without me, and I thought you would miss me, and—' "'And so I came down.' "'Barbara hesitated and looked over at the father. "'Ralph's lip trembled suspiciously, "'but he said quite gently but firmly, "'No, Carl, you must go right back to bed. "'It is too late for little boys to be up. "'We are very much obliged for your call, "'but we cannot ask you to stay.' "'All right,' said Carl sturdily. "'He raised his face to his mother's and kissed her "'and marched sturdily out of the room.' At the door he fired a parting shot. If there's anything left, save Martha and me some. He vanished up the stairs amid a general laugh, and Mrs. Ward wiped her eyes. It was more than laughter that had brought tears to them. I think you have the most beautiful children, Barbara. I never saw any that minded like your Carl. I'm afraid they obey their father better than me, Barbara answered slowly. But they are lovely children. Did you ever see anything more funny than the look on his face as he said, Why don't I have some of this? And as for Martha... Barbara's eyes dimmed at the vision of that little one upstairs. And when she came back to the conversation, Mr. Ward was saying, That was a trying time, Barbara. I tell you now that I had no sort of expectation that you could hold your own in Marble Square. The night you were married... I knew there were a dozen families fully intending to leave the church and never come back. And yet they didn't. At least not more than two or three. How do you account for it? Mrs. Vane asked the question, and then answered it herself. Plain enough, they learned to love the minister's wife. Same as I did, said Ralph, bowing to Barbara. I knew I was safe all the time. But there are some people that have never called on you yet, my dear, Mrs. Dillingham asked. Yes, quite a number, Barbara answered quietly. It does not hurt me. I am very happy. The little company was silent a moment. Each was tracing in memory some of the eventful things of the last five years. It is a great work you and Mr. Morton have done, Mrs. Ward said at last. When you came into my house, Barbara, six years ago, I was a fretful, irritable, cross woman. Your definition of Christian service really saved us our home. What you are doing for other girls in training them to have a divine thought of service is saving many other homes in Crawford. I know it, because I see the effects on my friends wherever your girls have gone. You will never know, Barbara, all the good you have done amongst us. God has been very good to me, said Barbara softly. He has been good to us all, her husband added gently. After supper, 
Barbara went upstairs to see her mother and say good-night to her. Mrs. Clark had for two years been confined to her room through an accident. This was one of the cheerful burdens that Barbara had carried since her home began. She stayed with her mother for some time, and Ralph came up and joined her with Mrs. Ward, until the invalid ordered them all downstairs again. "'The children are company for me,' she said, and Barbara's tears fell as she said to Mrs. Ward, "'I do believe Mother is glad that she is one of the shut-ins. She does enjoy Carl and Martha so. They play together all the time, and even when they are asleep Mother calls them company.' She kissed her mother good-night and joined the company downstairs. "'Oh, did I tell you?' she said as she came down. "'Ralph and I invited in a little group of friends among the young people tonight. "'They'll be here pretty soon.' "'We hope they're from a class of society that is equal to ours, Barbara,' said Mr. Ward gravely. "'The last time I was here, Morton introduced me to a lot of people who work with their hands in making an honest living. "'That isn't the best society you know in Crawford.' "'Barbara looked at him humorously. "'Remarks like that do not frighten me any more,' she said. The best society to me is made up of people who have begun to learn the lesson of divine service for human needs. The young people arrived a little later. They were young men and women whom Ralph and Barbara had met and drawn into the circle of their companionship in service. There were eight or ten girls who were out at service and had been trained in the school as Barbara's own pupils. There were three or four girls from Bondman's who were trying to live in little apartments in one or two cases to Barbara's own knowledge, in terrible danger of losing their virtue on account of their surroundings. The careless-looking girl was there, the one whom Barbara had actually saved from the pit, and with the light of life in her transformed face, she was living a useful life as manager of a temperance restaurant in the city. She was engaged to one of the clerks in Bondman's, and they were to be married soon and begin a little business of their own in connection with the restaurant. As Barbara watched them talking together with her husband, she said to herself, It is worth all it costs to save her, and only God and Barbara will ever know how much it cost, and they will never tell. Then there were half a dozen young men from various places in the city, all of whom had no homes, and had been saved by Morton from an aimless or sinful life. Nearly all of the young people were among the wage earners. There were light refreshments passed after an evening of animated talk, interspersed with much good music and several games, in which Mr. Morton surprised even Barbara with his good spirit and an ability like genius in setting everybody at ease. About ten o'clock, the minister called the guests' attention to the hour and said quietly, We'll have our usual service to close with. Most of them seemed familiar with the custom at the parsonage, and the company was soon quietly seated in the two large rooms. Ralph turned to Matthew's Gospel and read the passage in which Jesus Christ, the Son of God, defines the term brotherhood. While he was yet speaking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without, seeking to speak to him. And one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, seeking to speak to thee. But he answered, and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother, and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand towards his disciples, and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. He commented on it briefly, and then read the other passage, which contains the matchless statement of service as given by Jesus again. For the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. The world will solve all hard questions if it only brings enough love to bear upon them, he said, looking out earnestly at the silent, eager young life in the circle. Love can do all things. If only we learn that service is divine, we can learn how to make a better world and redeem our brothers and sisters. He offered a brief prayer that the Father would bless all the lives present and all dear to them, and give them strength for another day's work after a night's peaceful rest. And after the prayer, the guests quietly went away after a strong handshake, and hearty God bless you from the young preacher and his wife. Ah, Ralph and Barbara, 
only the judgment will reveal the number of jewels in your crown. For you have saved souls from death here, and despair hereafter. When Mrs. Dillingham went out, as she walked along with Mrs. Vane and the wards, for they lived only a short distance from the parsonage, she said, Well, there was a time when no one could have made me believe in the sort of evening I have spent tonight. I rubbed my eyes several times, thinking maybe I was resurrected, living in another world. I don't think the millennium has come quite yet, said Mr. Ward, not even in Crawford. And yet Barbara and Morton seem to have made a little one of their own around them. Perhaps that's the way the big one is going to begin, suggested Mrs. Vane wisely. When all the people had gone, Ralph Morton and Barbara reviewed the evening. They had a good time, I am sure. It's worthwhile, isn't it, dear? Yes, even if I haven't solved the serving girl problem like a mathematical thing with an exact answer, Barbara said, smiling. Human problems are not solved that way, Barbara. I always feel suspicious of an economic formula that claims to bring in the millennium like an express train running on a scheduled time. But this much we do know from our own experience. Love is the great solution, the final solution of all Earth's troubles. We know it is, because God is love. And service between man and man will be what it ought to be when love between man and man is what it ought to be, and not until then. I am glad, said Barbara, that we have learned that. I am glad that we were born to serve. Amen, said Morton gently. Thanks be to God for the servant of the human race. So hand in hand, these two, through their church and home, are ministering today to the needy of the brotherhood. Hand in hand, they look with the hope of God for the dawn of a better day and the victory which always crowns the greatest of all human forces, the love of man for man. The End End of Chapter 8 End of Born to Serve by Charles Monroe Sheldon